If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And uh, if you open up there, uh, we're going to be in verses 32 through 52 this morning. John chapter 7, verses 32 through 52. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can grab the Pew Bible there and open it up. Uh, to page 1231 there in the Pew Bible. 1231 in the Pew Bible. As you're opening there, I just want to say what a joy it is uh, this morning uh, that we get to have our student ministry director, Chris Taunton's family with us. His parents and sister and grandmother are all here with us today. And so we uh, praise the Lord for that. I know you'll want to say hello to them afterwards. So welcome to First Baptist Church. So glad you're here. And of course, we're happy to have Chris with us here as well. If you have your Bibles uh, open there, I want you to go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet and others said this is the Christ but some said is this is the Christ to come from Galilee has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem the village where David was so there was a division among the people over him some of them wanted to arrest him but no one laid hands on him the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them why did you not bring him and the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises. Galilee. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you'll open our hearts and minds this morning, God, to receive your word. Father, we ask that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Back in uh, 2009, there's a man on vacation on the coast of New York in Montauk, and his daughter on this vacation had an ear infection. So he popped into the local pharmacy uh, to get some medicine for her. And when he was there, he saw someone and he realized he looked familiar. And after he looked for just a few moments later, he realized that this man 
was an actor, a famous actor named Matthew Broderick. Many of you probably know who Matthew Broderick is. He's, a, he's famous, but maybe not the most famous guy in the world, but enough that it made this man want to go get his daughter out of the car and, and come get a picture with Matthew Broderick. The problem was that Broderick was with a friend. The guy just could not get Matthew Broderick's friend out of the picture. So the, the dad would say, okay, move over just, just a little more. Could you move over just, just a little more? Hey, man, could you move over just a little? Finally, he just resigns himself to the fact, okay, I can just crop this guy out later. He's over in the corner. That's fine. So he takes the picture, and he gets back in the car with his daughter. And as he gets in the car with his daughter, his whole family is going crazy, saying, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And over in the corner, it turns out, it was Matthew Broderick's friend, Jerry Seinfeld. You can see the picture there on on the screen this is uh one of the few good things i've ever seen on twitter and so and so there was jerry seinfeld he kept pushing jerry seinfeld and you can see in the picture you can see jerry seinfeld's face he's uh he's enjoying the best day of matthew broderick's life when uh when somebody knew him and not jerry seinfeld you know identity can be a really funny thing Sometimes we have a hard time seeing someone for who they are. And right here, we encounter another group of people who just can't quite get Jesus' identity. Over and over and over again, Jesus is encountering people, and people are encountering Jesus, and they're missing the point of who He is. They encounter Him, but they can't quite grasp His identity. This morning, I want you to know Jesus. I, I want you to know who Jesus is. I, I want you to begin to get a grasp and continue to get a grasp on his identity. So this morning I want to show you three things about the identity of Christ from this text. Three things about Jesus' identity that I want you to know from this passage of Scripture. Here's the first. Know the suffering servant. Know the suffering servant servant listen to what happens in verses 32 through 36 people have been curious about who jesus is and there are some who want to kill him and others who are starting to believe that he's the christ and so the pharisees verse 32 heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and pharisees sent officers to arrest him now bear in mind then people are are angry with him and we're starting to see then john is beginning here to foreshadow the death of christ he's starting to show the sort of uh radical frustration the the intense anger that the jewish leaders are beginning to have with jesus to the point that they're beginning to send officers we, we would guess these are temple officers people who are who are part of the priestly lineage who help keep order in in the temple they're sent out to to arrest jesus and bring him to them so john's starting to show uh, things are getting worse. Now, he, he keeps us on our toes, so you don't know the answer to the, to the story. You don't know what's going to happen here until the end of this passage. But, but we do begin to see a foreshadowing of his death. And Jesus then begins to teach. Verse 33, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then begin to misunderstand Jesus. They, this is a typical theme in John. John's wanting us to show that the world, John's trying to help us see that the world 
knew him not, as he said in his prologue. So one more time, John's demonstrating, as he will throughout this passage, a, a misunderstanding. People don't know Jesus. And what is John's point then? He's showing the way that even though these people are religious, they're just as lost as the world. Over and over and over again, John's been showing us this. We, we see then Jesus, I would argue, pointing to his own death and eventually to his own ascension, his own resurrection. This is what he says one more time. He says, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You'll seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Jesus is pointing to the fact that soon he will die. You cannot go where he's going. And as we progress in John, you'll begin to continue to see, you'll begin to continue to see this reality um, you begin to continue to see this reality that the, the anger and the desire to kill Jesus is building. He's pointing to the need to go to the Father through himself. You see, if you want to know God, Jesus is saying, you must go through me. I'm going to him who sent me. Where I am, you cannot come. Well, this confusion builds. Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the, the dispersion or the, the diaspora among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? You see, these people can't imagine that what he might mean is that he's going to be with God and that they wouldn't know God. You see, in their mind, there's no way that anyone could know God if, if they didn't know him also. How can you know God, though? How, how, how can you know the Father? How can you know Jesus? Well, I think the point Jesus is making to the Pharisees here is that we must know him in terms of his suffering. I, I think he's being intentionally cryptic here, but I think it's true. We must know him in terms of his suffering. suffering. He is the suffering servant. You see, our tendency is to want a Christ and to want a Jesus who's made in our image. And I think that's why throughout the Gospels you have people, including the disciples, who are so hesitant to believe that the Christ must suffer. Because we want a Messiah who is going to champion whatever our cause may be. Now, for the, most of the disciples and the Jewish people of the age, their cause was to crush the Roman Empire and establish the kingdom of Israel and so that they could be God's people in God's place under God's rule as the law of Abraham, the promises to Abraham, uh, the, not the law of Abraham, the promises to Abraham had, had made promise to them. That's what they wanted to see happen. And so when Jesus starts talking about things like, I must suffer, I must suffer at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, when Jesus starts talking about this, these people start to get really uncomfortable because we want a Christ made in our own image, so it makes us fearful of a suffering servant. But here's the reality. You don't get a Christ made in your image, but he will remake you into his. He will remake you into his. In other words, it's right for people to be unnerved by the fact that Jesus suffers because the Bible says we will be made like Christ through suffering. I want you to know the suffering servant. If you want to know God, if you want to go where Jesus is going, you must embrace him in terms of his suffering. When Christ calls a man, as we said a few weeks ago, as Bonhoeffer said, he bids him come and die. If anyone comes after me, Jesus says, he must take up his cross daily 
you will be remade into the image of Christ and the odds are in each and every one of our lives in one way or another God will use suffering he's remaking you into the image of his son I want you to know the suffering servant but second of all I want you to know the giver of the spirit I want you to know the giver of the spirit I love John chapter 7 verse 37 I love this verse on the last day of the feast the great day Jesus stood up and he cried out if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink now this great feast that's happening you probably remember this it's the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles this is one of the great jewish pilgrim feasts where they travel to jerusalem and they would build for themselves booths now why would they do that why would they want to build little houses to live in little makeshift uh tents so to speak out of out of different things well it was to commemorate and to remember the exodus when they lived in the wilderness and god delivered them from the egyptians and during this time they would also thank god for the harvest it usually happened in in september or october and so they would come together here for this festival and live in these booths during this time to remember the exodus and every day for the first seven days of the festival every day and and every day they would have what was called the water ritual every day the high priest brought a golden pitcher of water from the pool of siloam to the temple and there would be a parade that would happen around him and people would march as they went they would sing psalms to the lord And as they went there, they would finally get to the temple and they would present this water as an offering to the Lord. On the way there, they would celebrate. They would blow the shofar, this great horn. They would sing to the Lord. And so this was a way then at this feast of booths or this festival of booths to celebrate God's faithfulness and providing the year's harvest in a way to ask Him to continue to bless them with rain. Now, when you think about what's happening at this festival, when you think about what's happening at this feast, it begins to make what Jesus says here on the last and great day of the feast a little more poignant, doesn't it? Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. If anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm thankful for for John who gives us an aside here. Now this he said about the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus here is associating himself, I would argue, with water from the rock of Meribah, the the miraculous provision of water that God gave his people after the exodus. And if you think about it, he's already associated himself with the manna when he said, I am the bread of life. Now he says, come to me and drink. Paul associated him with water from the rock as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what the Bible says. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. And the rock was Christ. 
Jesus is then pointing these people to recognize you're celebrating God's provision of water in the Exodus, and you're celebrating every day God's provision of water for your crops, and you're asking God to provide for you water again. But I want to take your eyes off the provision of the physical, and I want to point your eyes toward me who can quench your thirst forever. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and let him drink. And then, as I said, in 38 and 39, John makes it clear that Jesus is referring to the promise of the Holy Spirit. So you have two things happening here in this passage. One, it's a great Christological passage. It's a passage about Jesus, teaching us something about what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. But then second of all, we also see it's a great, all right, here's a big word. Y'all ready for it? Pneumatological. That's pertaining to the Spirit. So you've got a Christological passage, and it's a pneumatological. It's a Spirit-oriented passage. It's a passage about the Holy Spirit. Notice what Jesus says. He says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of of living water. And he says that those rivers of living water then, this is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, John tells us. And so we have to ask, what does Jesus mean when he says, and the scriptures have said? Because when we look through the Bible, there's not a scripture that exactly meets this. Now there's tons and tons of, of Bible verses. Isaiah 55, one might come to mind. Come to me, you who are thirsty. But D.A. Carson argues that Jesus is associating the giving of the Spirit with the manna and the water from the rock in the wilderness. And, and he makes this argument primarily from the book of Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah discovered the Bible when they came back from exile. They rediscovered the Scriptures. They read through the Scriptures. They realized they were supposed to be celebrating these feasts and festivals. And so he had a revival of the Festival of Booths in the post-exilic Israel. And, and Nehemiah then in chapter 9, verse 20, listen to what he says. He says, You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. And so what I think Jesus and the Apostle John are arguing here this, that to know Him, to know Jesus, and to receive Jesus then, is to be spiritually satisfied forever, because you will receive the Holy Spirit, who will provide for you in abundance, overwhelmingly, rivers of living water, such that you'll never need water Again, So if you take this line throughout the Old Testament all the way up to the New, you can see the way that in, in the time of the Exodus, God provided for His people this water and this bread. And then in the book of Nehemiah, He recognizes then that the Spirit was sustaining them. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians recognizes that they're, they're, as they're eating physical food and phys drinking physical water, that God is supplying them spiritually there. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of all these things, of your daily parade, of the, the exodus that Moses brought you through. I provide for you bread so that you'll never be hungry, and I provide for you water so that you'll never be thirsty. Why settle, Jesus is saying, as the prophet Isaiah says, for that which does not satisfy, when instead come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he has no, who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to Jesus, I believe Isaiah is saying. 
Come to Jesus, I know our Lord is saying. You who are thirsty, drink deeply and drink for free and drink forever. I hope you'll know the suffering servant, but I also hope you'll know the giver of the Spirit. And third of all, I hope you'll know the Christ, the very Son of God. I hope you'll know the Christ, the Son of God. People then, at this point, begin to get frustrated again. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, now the people are kind of divided. Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? And what they didn't know is he was born in Bethlehem. They didn't know. They had lived and grown up in Galilee. They didn't know he's actually from Bethlehem. They're confused on that. But these things are all on the people's minds because the Festival of Booths was also a time to look forward to the future coming of the Messiah. You see, every day, every day as they did this water parade, as they did this water parade, they would sing a prayer known as the Hallel. That's a recitation by memory, by and large, of Psalms 113 through 118. And I think as these folks were walking down the street, especially these Jewish leaders and these Pharisees, I think there's an irony in what they were singing each day. Listen to, listen to what they would sing as they, I would say, as they approached what's called the water gate. As they got to the water gate with the water entering into the temple, they were nearing the end of the Hillel. And this is what it says in Psalm 118, verses 19 through 24. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Brothers and sisters, as they walked, carrying the water to the gate from the pool of Siloam to the temple. As they sang psalms, they sang psalms to Christ and didn't even know it. They sang psalms to Jesus and didn't even know it. Because we know now as Christians that it is indeed true that the stone, the cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so they would sing this psalm as they are on these very days rejecting the stone that became the cornerstone. They misunderstood his origin. And then the Pharisees misunderstand his threat to their leadership. They begin to be frustrated. Verses 47, 48, and 49. Asking these officers, who even though the Pharisees had told them to go arrest Jesus, they said no one has ever spoke like this man and refused to arrest him. And so here you have the servants, Right? The last becoming first because they're starting to see something in Jesus. And then you have the leaders who are blinded becoming last. Over and over and over again, John is showing the way that the wisdom of men is not how we know Jesus, but it's by God's grace. But they're misunderstanding. He's only a threat to those who refuse to believe the truth, to all who will actually believe his yoke is easy and his burden was light. They're frustrated. This crowd that does not know the law is accursed, they say in verse 49. And and he asks these officers, when they say, you know, nobody's ever spoken like this, their only appeal is to their own authority. 
Have you also been deceived? Verse 48. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Doesn't that just smack of the sort of self-righteousness that Jesus so often talked to him about? These people don't know the law. They're accursed. We're the only ones. You can believe in him when we believe in him. Brothers and sisters, they were missing the truth. They were missing the truth. As they went through the motions of a religion which God had given them, of a process by which they might come to know the Christ, as they went through the motions of the process, they were missing what the very words and the very symbolic actions they were taking, they were missing the fact that they pointed them to Jesus. As they celebrated here, as they celebrated what God did for the people in the wilderness, giving them manna and water, they missed the bread of life. They missed the water that lets you never be thirsty again. They missed who Jesus was. And in their midst, in addition to all these things they were doing that should have shown them that Jesus was the Christ, they had Jesus himself, who, though his glory was veiled, nonetheless was showing and demonstrating his glory in different ways, even in these moments. It's exactly why Jesus was telling them, pointing to them, soon I will go away and you will not be able to find me. He's trying to tell them, he's offering them mercy, trying to tell them, seek me while I may be found. And yet they hardened their hearts, focusing inward. They were missing the truth. They were missing Jesus's overwhelming beautiful glory though it was veiled they were missing it i ask you this question today what are you missing what are you missing perhaps you're missing the same thing perhaps you've got every excuse based on your perception of jesus that you can imagine i i encountered some smug christians one time some self-righteous christians therefore i won't follow Jesus some of the ways that people talk about the Holy Spirit it feels like an abuse of the Holy Spirit therefore I don't want to follow Jesus see see Christians to me are hypocrites you might say they they say one thing and live another let me ask you this question are you concerned about what man has to say or what about about what God has to say now I recognize all of us have encountered a bad Christian or two in our lives but I've encountered a few bad apples and that doesn't mean I stop eating apples that doesn't mean that they're all bad it means that sometimes that happens but brothers and sisters does that mean that you can't search the scriptures yourselves and look and see to find out whether or not Jesus is who he says he is I hope you'll look and see that you see I want you to know you can push Jesus out of the picture all you want You can try to get your life in the viewpoint, in the view frame, and you can say, this is what I care about, this is what matters most. And over and over and over again, you can say, Jesus, can you just move over a little bit? Can you just scoot over a little bit? I'm I'm not real interested in having you there right now. You can encounter him and try to push him out of the way all you want, but here's the reality for you and for me and every person who's ever lived. Push him away all you want, yet he remains he's there he's the suffering servant he's the giver of the spirit in fact he's the Christ the son of God 
I ask you this question today. What will you do with that truth? What will you do with that reality today? You may be telling yourself, I'll crop him out later. I'll deal with this later, but he remains. He remains. What will you do with him today? Seek him. Seek him while he yet can be found. I want to offer an invitation today. And uh, I want to invite you, if you've never done this before, to know Jesus for the first time. I believe that by God's grace and for His glory, that, that if you will turn from your sins and repentance and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, I believe He will save you. I believe that with all my heart. I've got no questions about that. If you'll repent of your sins, if you'll turn to Him in faith and trust God through the blood of Jesus Christ, I believe that He will save you. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may be a believer. Perhaps you've already trusted Christ. You may be a believer. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to walk closer with Jesus or if you'd just like to pray, this altar's open to you. And so you, you may already be a Christian. You may already be a believer. But you may say, you know what? I, I need a church home. I'd love to talk to you today, today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we pray that today, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to be changed. If there's a soul in this room, God, who has business to do with you, would you move in their hearts even now? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.